Guardian. So we're here at the Sydney Film Festival hub and we're in a little living room of sorts. It looks like a fancy IKEA lounge. It is a fancy it? IKEA lounge with very fancy furniture. I don't know where they've got it from. But it is very atmospheric and we have a cocktail party going on right next to us. I'm hoping that they'll give us some free champagne in a moment. Um, but uh, we're actually here to record the Culture Podcast from the Sydney Film Festival. It's June 2015, I'm Alex Spring. I write about arts and culture for The Guardian Australia. And I'm joined today by Guardian Australia film critic, Luke Buckmaster. Hi, Luke. Hello, Alex. And our, po and our producer, Miles. Hi, Miles. Hello. We're in the middle of Sydney Film Festival and the number of Australian films in the lineup has been very impressive. So we thought we'd talk about them today. Um, there's Brendan Cowell's Ruben Guthrie about an ad man who gives up drinking for a year to win back his girlfriend. Simon Stone's The Daughter, an adaptation of Ibsen's The Wild Duck, which is set in regional New South Wales. Jeremy Sims's Last Cab to Darwin, about a terminally ill cab driver and his desire to die with dignity. Gillian Armstrong's The Woman He Undressed, about Australian costume designer and three-time Oscar winner, Ari Kelly, who came from Kayama. And we're all also looking forward to Neil Armfield's Holding the Man, which is based on the love story between Tim Conagrave and John Callio. Luke, you've also seen a number of other Australian films. What have you seen? I have. I've seen a contingent um, of the, the documentaries uh, that are out uh, at the moment. So I've seen Gaby Baby, which is the film from Amanda Newell that examines the day-to-day -day lives of children whose parents happen to be gay. Uh, I've seen Freedom Stories, which is from the uh, director Steve Thomas, and he made, uh, made a film some years ago, 2003, called Welcome to Woomera, and this is uh, essentially an encapsulation of different people's lives who once were in detention centres. And the other film I've seen also in the documentary spectrum is Sherpa, and that's directed by Jennifer Pedham, uh, and it's produced by one of the, the people who made Touching the Void, which was quite a, a well-known film about um, mountaineering. And th that's out of those three documentaries, the Sherpa, which is in official competition, um, and it's about the, the Sherpa people who um, climb up the mountains and, and shepherd foreign tourists, uh, taking a disproportionate part of the risk and a disproportionate portion of the reward is, I think, the standout of the documentaries. Really? So Sherpa's your favourite? It's really, those... really good. Yeah, really? it's completely gripping. Uh, the, the reason why the director went there, or the idea that it germinated from, is this uh, an in industrial dispute, essentially, that occurred in 2013, where it was, a, it was a brawl between a bunch of Europeans and a bunch of the Sherpa people. Discrepancy on the mountain involving altercation, um, some offence was caused, rocks were thrown, a bit of a fight. That led the director to decide to go up to the mountain next year, which was in 2014. And essentially the plan was to make a film about the Sherpa people, framed from the Sherpa perspective, looking at culture, traditions, uh, the day-to-day the hustle-bustle, if you like, of going up the mountain and back. For these people that often end up in the editing room floor when you talk about s stories involving Mount Everest. And it's got this beautiful, majestic backdrop with Everest on the ice and it looks fantastic. It looks like it belongs on IMAX. Mm. It's incredible. It sounds like an incredible dramatic story, though, if it it's is. all happening with... So the... that's been a standout from the documentary perspective, mm -hmm. although Women He's Undressed from Gillian Armstrong... I had to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah, did you enjoy that film? Immensely so, yeah. And it's part of, I guess, a, a docu documentarians not wanting to have these talking heads, these dry talking heads. Um, it's, 
it's it's not dry academic air. These these subjects. I was going to say these characters, which sort of indicates how theatrical the film is. Absolutely. Are breathing. It's it's kind of alive. It's got an energy, and it's got pockets of the film that are reenacted by by people who play Ori Kelly and mm -hmm. uh, and his mother also. And it's it yeah. comes together so well. It's a it's a really unusual format. I haven't seen that. I mean, Luke, you've seen a lot more films than I have, but I haven't seen that format before where it's literally people recreating it and interacting with the audience as well as the, the fourth wall is broken so. yeah and, and, it, and it suits that stagey art deco you know style of the film quite well too it gives it a real theatrical bent and a theatrical thrust uh, and, it, and it just makes it simply and purely more entertaining to watch. Absolutely. I actually asked, I've spoken to Gillian Armstrong and I asked her why she chose to do it that way and she said uh, partly it was because there was a lack of footage of Ori Kelly um, available even though he was in the film industry and, and he was around but there actually wasn't that much um, footage of him which was really interesting because I, I, I was speaking to you earlier about Amy which is a film that I saw which is an international film it's just come out of the, the UK and had really amazing reviews but that is based on existing footage that uh, that was taken by friends and family and it's really interesting how the different devices affect the viewing pleasure of a documentary. Yeah, and, and it's interesting that that was um, a choice in terms of not showing much of the actual man. Mm. Interesting that that sounds like it was a, a choice born of necessity, whereas you would watch that and naturally assume it was a directorial or stylistic choice. You mm. see bits of him um, predominantly right towards the end, essentially, mm. which makes sense if somebody is uh, reenacting that character because it's a different skin, a different face, and a different performance style. Mm. So it suits that really well. So absolutely, yeah. Miles, have you got a clip from the woman he addressed? Yep, here it is. Ori Kelly was one of the greatest costume designers of all time. Oh, you look simply gorgeous. He was a master of silhouette and of color. The man put out 285 films. It is that adventuresome Australian spirit. The winner is Ori Kelly. Looking at the festival lineup in, in Sydney, the, uh, the playwright and the stage component is probably the most striking for me. That and the alcoholism tangent too. <laughs> Almost every second Australian film, um, fiction feature Australian film has got an alcoholic featured in it. Uh, sometimes quite prominently, like Reuben Guthrie, the opening night film, and uh, almost all of them were adapted from um, plays as well. Absolutely. We um, again, I, I asked Jeffrey Rush that question as to why there were so many uh, theatre, uh, the original stage productions which had been adapted into screenplays, and uh, his he although he said he had no sort of insight as to why this, they were all happening at the same time, but he did indicate that there's obviously a fertility of writing that's happening at the moment, uh, or has been happening for a while, which is going through theatre and then you know they make for good for good uh, for good screenplays as well because literally all of the main films Last Captain Darwin, Holding the Man, Reuben Guthrie and The Daughter are all based on on plays. Yeah. It's extraordinary really. Yeah and 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 I guess making a, a successful production and then climbing the different tiers of mm. the, the theatre trade also prize open doors in terms of access to talent. So for example, Simon Stone has wanted to uh, frame in terms of a cinematic adaptation, a, a, a version of The Wild Duck for, for some time. 
and working on his level, because he's such an acclaimed playwright and, and theatre director, he's naturally built up quite a large canvas of, of uh, or Rolodex, if you like, of mm. people to attach to his work. So he was able to get film financing by juggling, um, approaching funding bodies and producers, and then on the other hand, uh, approaching actual cast and actual talent. So yeah. if you can come to a, a producer and say, we've got Sam Neill, Jeffrey Rush, Miranda Otto, etc., and so forth, then suddenly you know, they're, they're going to start listening. Uh, I thought his film in particular, The Daughter, is quite a breathtaking mm. uh, piece of cinema. Uh, yeah, let's so talk assured. about The Daughter. What, so you enjoyed, you enjoyed The Daughter. You gave it a great review. I wouldn't say enjoyed is <laughs> the first uh, word that I would use to describe the experience, but uh, yeah, I thought it was quite, a, quite an excellent film. And it flows like a, like a melody that, that just gets more and more intense. It's kind of got this screeching lyricism to it that I think is beautifully well calibrated in terms of um, dramatic tension. And it's not so much about pulling the levers of dramatic tension, which is really interesting. So it doesn't, it doesn't kind of go up and down so much as just a slow inclination up towards uh, something that's incredibly intense and uh, quite moving. It's interesting the way that Simon Stone is structured is, so A, it's, it's got two families, it's, and they're woven together through various different means, and B, there's essentially no protagonist. So the characters have to uh, almost kind of vie for their time on the stage, if you like. And he's very even-handed with the way that he distributes those, those stories and those plot lines. So if you love the film or you don't like the film, uh, regardless, you walk away with a, a kind of tapestry of, of personalities in your head. Mm. And that, that particularly struck me as quite a dangerous decision because it's a sort of decision where a producer will say, you know, someone needs to drive this story. Whose story is it? Is it about the guy who's coming back who knows something? Is it about the, the, the father who's getting remarried? Is it about the, the, the daughter? So on and so forth. But the, the daughter is, uh, is a beautifully even-handed, I think, as a... As a I mean, it's interesting to me because, I, to me, I think that that's a theatrical device. I mean, it is based on Ibsen, but having no specific hero um, is used a lot more in theatre plays. Um, why was, you know, the, the, the trite suggestion is that a lot of movies are based on the classic hero journey, where it's always the, the you know, the seven stages of the journey, um, and it feels like film gets much more tied into that, whereas stage is free to distribute the view, you know, the points of view. Um, so maybe that is the benefit, I guess, of having uh, those stories told or adapted from theatre plays. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and a lot of the time when, when uh, stage adaptations support the films, you, you, you get these long clumps of monologues for obvious reasons. Mm. And you get very verbose screenplays that are very, very word heavy and, and, and all sort of lick it up with words. And this is... Really, the, I think that the, on the on the top tier of the stage adaptations in terms of re, completely reinventing the, the wheel. So he's he dramatically uh, rewrote the Wild Duck for the stage production. Very controversially too, absolutely. And then he dramatically it's it's like he's, he's now saying it's inspired by the Wild Duck. So he's not actually saying it's based on that particular play. I think that approach resonates a lot more in terms of a cinem and cinematic experience because you've got another film that's playing at the, at the festival, um, let's say Last Cab to Darwin. And I think it's much easier and more obvious and more conspicuous uh, to track in terms of its theatrical roots. You can sort of, I, I, I it felt more like a, a staged play in the best possible sense. I think really? The in terms of did, the... did a good job. Right. Why don't we hear a clip from Last Cab to Darwin? My name is Rex. Uh, I live in Broken Hill, but uh, I'm dying. 
My granddad had cancer of the bum. He said that was okay. I reckon grandma was a bigger pain in the ass. <laughs> Rex, how hard has it been to convince your loved ones that the decision you're about to make is the right one? There's no one else. It's just me. All right, brother boy. That's a fair drive. All the way to darling. You're going to be a difficult patient. More than likely. You should try driving 2,000 Ks with the bastard. The one massive thing it's got going for it in terms of an easy way out to the, to the cinema is that it's a road movie. Yes. So predictably, it's, it's full of sh sh shots of the, the road. You get these beautiful, crispy, sunshiny kind of um, road, roadside shots of shrubbery and trees and creatures. And Michael Caton, who looks like he's been marinated beer as a I love road. Michael Caden in this movie. Left I think he's awesome. To dry. Yes. Uh, and he's exactly what that film needed, which is uh, a man who looks like he's exhibiting pathos even when he's sort of scratching his leg or going to the servo. Uh, he, he couldn't not scream pathos and poignant and Michael Caton does that exceptionally well, further I think removing it from its theatrical origins. Absolutely. I, I do love that movie. To me, uh, I know you, you had a sort of mixed feelings towards it, but to me it had a lot of heart as well and a lot of realness to it, whereas, I, you know, this, the, the daughter sometimes struck me as being a little self-conscious, whereas... Uh, uh, and, and the other film which we have to talk about as well, which is Ruben Guthrie, which is also a stage adaptation and completely different. Again, I mean, in terms of we were talking about pacing, um, that goes in with a bang straight from the start. That's right, yeah. It's a, a thrilling ride, the story of an ad man, and literally starts with him jumping off the, the roof and uh, <laughs> yeah. smashed off his head and, and breaking his arm. So I did, you enjoyed that movie too? I did, yeah. It, it begins as a sort of Wolf of Wall Street light. And then it evens out into, well, they remove the alcohol, basically, from this guy's existence. So it's hard to keep up to that level of, uh, uh, of drug taking and, and debauchery if you're taking away the central ingredients. Although uh, Alex Dimitriatis walks on the scene and completely um, either derails the, the film or, or just hogs the, the spotlight. Steals the show. I think he, I think he definitely steals, steals the show. Um, it's a very, very well-tuned comedic performance as his flamboyantly gay uh, best friend uh, who's still very much liquored up and still very much part of the party life. But yes, I think the, the theatrical origins for Ruben Guthrie again are a bit more obvious than they are in yes. The Daughter. Yes. Um, although I, I completely agree that Daughter is probably more self-conscious as, as a work of art. I'd also probably, I'd also say more, more calibrated. But um, yeah, what did you make of Ruben Guthrie? I enjoyed it. I mean, I have a couple of issues with the, uh, the product placement uh, within the film, and I think that detracted from it. I, I think the performances in Ruben Guthrie are fantastic, along with Alex Dimitriotis. I think Patty Bramall is stunning. It really kind of gave a, a depth to it um, as a person. I mean, that could so easily have been a caricature and so easily fallen into just laughing um, at this ridiculous human being. Um, but he, he, was, uh, he was particularly good. And some of the others were pretty one-dimensional, particularly the female characters in, the, in, in Ruben Guthrie were quite 
could be verged on, seen as being slightly sexist in terms of the depth um, to them. But um, but I do think it was a it was a lovely uh, ride and, and, and fun and extravagant and brilliant and a good look at Sydney and a love letter to Sydney in a lot of ways. We were we were I was watching it with Nancy, who is my colleague um, at the Guardian, the culture editor, and we were having great fun spotting the places in Sydney and saying, "Oh, that's in Dremoyne or that's in you know Elizabeth Bay." Or, all around so that in that way I think it was lovely but I have a lot of issues with the amount of product placement which is so overt and so distracting from Ruben Guthrie I, I had a big problem with that did you have a problem with that or not so, not so much uh, so the, the product placement is interesting because you've got companies prominently Lexus and there's also Vivid Sydney uh, and the city of Sydney also but but Lexus is the big one so you've got an ad man who is beleaguered with all sorts of personal problems. Actually, at times, his speech is quite quite overtly sexist, too. And I think that feeds into the essence of him being quite a volatile and unstable character. And you've got him and his team working for an ad company that create the marketing materials for Lexus. So for, for mine, it was um, quite legitimised in terms of the, the context of the reality of the story, that these guys are making marketing products for Lexus. Whether or not that actually reflects well on Lexus to have a whole <laughs> lot of, of really rambunctious alcoholics who are sexist, violent, they do other things that I, I won't d- divulge in terms of spoilers. Uh, I don't know. That doesn't, that doesn't say to me I'm going to go out and buy a Lexus. It always <laughs> says to me, are you sure you really wanted to put money in that? And it's interesting that that, that, that happened and that people are a, a little bit more, the antennas are a little bit more focused in terms of Australian film and product placement because the money predominantly comes from um, the taxpayer purse. In Hollywood, it's a completely separate story, and it's on a, a completely separate level. You know, when when Will Smith in iRobot paused to put on his flashing new Converse um, sneakers, and the, and the, this shot just kind of loomed in on them as he's tying the the laces, it's just knock it knocks you right on the head with it. Whereas this, I, I found it was at least contextualise realistically uh, inside the story. I guess the bit, again, I don't want to give too much away, but in he is an ad man and he is creating ad campaigns and he does win a campaign, uh, this is the backstory for a particular ad, but then they shove the whole ad in the middle of the movie, <laughs> which happens to feature one of the key cast in there too. And it's a bit like, whoa, okay, pull back on that. Please pull back <laughs> on that. Okay. Um, Did you want something from, do you want me to play something from Ruben Guthrie? Can you play a clip from Ruben Guthrie? That'd be great. My name is Reuben Guthrie, and is it compulsory to wear Kmart tracksuits, or is it just coincidence? Reuben. Yes, Mum. It's Mum. Let's get smashed! I don't know how you're still alive. You remember Laura? You're the most talented creative director Pats has ever had. You know the rules, Ruben. We have house party, I go hotel. Ruben Guthrie, ad guy, jumped off the roof, pissed, hot girlfriend left. <laughs> you think this is funny? I'm in meetings now, Zoya. You go to one meeting, and now you're drinking the champagne. I'm celebrating my first meeting. I'll admit to favouring a drink. It's un-Australian not to. Take one year off alcohol and come and find me in the snow, yes? Yes, yes. Oh! I'm off the sauce, man. We don't have to have ten, just have one. When do we ever just have one? OK, let's have ten. Ah! This is not a moment in my life where I feel proud. 
The other thing that I really loved, and I guess this, go, this speaks to Australian films, but each of those films that we've spoken about, that certainly the dramas and the features, they uh, were very uh, in tune with the landscape, and it, that cinematography was ex extraordinary in all of them. But it was really showcasing Australia, and I don't mean that in a sort of twee, touristy kind of way, but. Last Cap to Darwin, you know, how spectacular does the bush and the road look out there? Uh, they go past Inodata, which is gorgeous. And then, um, it, you know, we, we've spoken about Ruben Guthrie being a love letter to Sydney, but also the, you know, regional areas in New South Wales, which are showcased in, or not showcased, but are visible in, uh, in the daughter as well. I mean, it really shows you how beautiful Australia is yeah. in a diverse way, which is not just the chuck of, you know, pawn on the barbie kind yeah, of way. Yeah, absolutely. They've all got a really strong sense of location. And also the film that we haven't talked about, Strangeland, mm, uh, the absolutely. directorial feature film debut of, of King Farrant. That's got an incredible sense of location too. Uh, so mm. loving uh, and vast that it's, it's just uh, chocked to the gills with, with shots of um, helicopter and, and drone images and, 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 and overhead footage just kind of tra trawling across this, this golden blanket of, um, of land. But they've, they've all got a very distinct uh, Australianism, if you like, to, to them without, yeah, I agree, without overloading us with, um, with elements that are, that are twee and an old, an old hat. Mm. And it's Reuben and Guthrie, you can, I guess, you know, obviously you take it or leave it in terms of whether you're engaged with the story or the characters. But, yeah, it's got a striking sense of Sydney as a location. And I don't think it could have been filmed anywhere else either. I think Melbourne is a little bit too hip and alternative. And any other city, any other city in Australia wouldn't have that massive corporate element that they need to, to build it up. Whether it's a truly loving picture of Sydney, I'm not so sure. I think Brendan Cowell finds a, a certain soullessness in the film to, to Sydney. It, he almost seems to indicate that uh, the expectation is everywhere is, is good if you ply yourself up with alcohol and start taking drugs. So their the houses without them look really bland and boring and I think they're, they're, they're kind of sterile too, which I think has been framed in quite a deliberate way. Absolutely. I mean, I think also you, you mentioned Melbourne then, but it seems like almost the location dictates the story in a way. And maybe, I mean, Melbourne obviously has, has different stories that will, will come out of that. But that is such a Sydney story that people are so Sydney in a way. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe that's why I didn't uh, think a great deal about Strangerland because they just invented the location. Or maybe that's in some way related to how the film embraces the location, which I said in my, my review on The, on the Guardian. I thought it, there was a, a mistake being made in terms of how they had, had framed the emotional uh, aesthetic of the, of the film by having a lot of really close-up, mid-shots, close-ups uh, of emotional, tumultuous times and then cutting quite regularly to the middle of nowhere and trawling shots. I found really stretched out what were or should have been intimate emotional encounters and made them feel kind of vast and, and almost empty. So I don't know if that's in... in some way a reflection of the fact that they just invented it as desert town which which nicole kidman um graces in her birthday suit looking uh quite uh, quite worse for wear uh, but uh, yeah it's contextualized in the story of course Absolutely. and uh, and joseph fines kind of trawls around as his thoroughly unlikable character i found trying to find his uh, his daughter and his son who've gone missing in the town and uh i found it bizarre that i i, I didn't care for him 
or not, you know, in any way, especially given how traumatic the situation is. Okay, so, so that, but that's your least favourite of the Australian features so it far? It is my least favourite of the Australian Absolutely. features. Absolutely. If you had to, if I had to push you into it, what would be your favourite so far? I have to lock in The Daughter. I, I think really? it's, a, it's okay. a remarkably assured debut. And it really does punch you in the gut a little bit and take you to some dark places. But I think it does so with, with uh, a surprising degree of technical and um, creative aplomb. I really think Simon Stone has, has nailed it for a film particularly that doesn't have a principal character. And so we, this is the birth of a new Australian film talent? I think so, yeah, absolutely. He started off a couple of years ago uh, in cinema, but only as a short in, in Tim Winton's The Turning, uh, Robert Connolly's anthology film, and he directed Kate, Kate Blanchett in, in a segment there called Reunion. So, and that's a nice way of him taking baby steps and going into the sort of the shallow waters and then the ocean of, of cinema, which I think he's, he's done a tremendously good job. So yeah, an, an emerging talent for sure. Good things to come. Well, I have to say my highlight or my favourite so far, and I think it's purely based on on characters and, and content and story, is Last Cab to Darwin. I love that film. Um, I was just warmed by it. And, and it was so lovely to see Michael Caton in a role where he's not a caricature and he's not Daryl Kerrigan again and again and again. Um, he, he really had a very convincing performance and, and I love the story. And I love seeing Australia and I love... The pink roadhouse is always going to win me over. Put a pink roadhouse in, and I'm, I'm, I'm over. So, um, so that's one. So, what else is on your list? What are you going to be seeing so far next? Well, one thing that's that's coming up later on the week, which I'm uh, anticipating, albeit fairly um, nervously, is a, is a three-part film called Arabian Nights. I'm seeing that on Saturday and two on Sunday, and that's actually so. It's volume one, two, three. And that's actually been entered into the film as an official competition wow. title, yeah. but it's yeah, right. three titles. Uh, I've got five a five and a half hours. Up. Around that, yeah, wow. something along okay. those lines. There's also a couple more Australian documentaries I'm seeing. A film called The Lost Aviator, and another one called Wide Open Sky, which I hope to be. Um, yeah, I have to be pleased by. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm going to go and see Going Clear, the Scientology documentary. I'm seeing that tomorrow oh, night. Oh, that's very and good. You yes, enjoyed that I one? Did. yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that'll be really one. It's, again, very controversial, and but apparently I've heard that it has great access to lots of people who are actually can talk about what it is to be a Scientologist. And I'm also off to see Iris as well, which opens on, uh, I think it's actually opened, it has opened already, but I'll see a screening later in the week about Iris Apfel, who is an, a fashion icon um, of, uh, she's, I think she's in her 80s now, and she's fabulous. So, and again, I don't know the filmmaker, but I understand he's someone of repute, so I'm looking forward to seeing that too. I wish I'd seen Amy by the sounds of things. Oh, Although Amy. That, that must be, that, I imagine that's coming out quite soon on the, on the wider theatrical release. In fact, I'm fairly certain it is. I'm pretty sure. I mean, both sessions for Sydney Film Festival sold out in a matter of instance. It was almost impossible to get any tickets for that. But it is such an affecting story and so tragic and you know, such a loss of an incredible talent. But the filmmaker has done an extraordinary job. In fact, Peter Bradshaw reviewed it and said A Star is Born again because it was a reminder of how powerful she was as a, as a talent so that was that's I have to say my favorite so far of all the films that I've seen so definitely go and see that one too if you I can. I certainly will absolutely. absolutely but um I think that's it for now and uh, we'll be back in about a week's time Luke to do and talk about what we've seen and and 
more, more Sydney Film Festival craziness. Indeed, we'll talk then. Absolutely. So um, thank you for joining us. We'll have all the reviews on a special Guardian Australia podcast page along with international coverage and reviews. Go to theguardian.com, click on culture, then the, the culture podcast page. Tell us what you're seeing at the film festival on our Guardian Australia culture Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com backslash Guardian Australia culture on Twitter at GDN Oz culture or send us your culture pics on Instagram GDN Oz culture but please talk to us on Twitter too uh, follow Luke on at Luke Buckmaster follow me Alex on at Alex Spring and follow Miles at Miles Age for now thank you Luke you are very welcome thanks Alex thanks Miles thank you Miles you're very welcome and we'll be back in a week to talk about the rest of the first festival. For more great downloads, head to theguardian.com/audio.